Hi, I'm Nigel Campbell, editor of Jazz in the Islands magazine, with another episode of Island Jazz Chat, a podcast featuring conversations with Caribbean jazz and pan-jazz musicians based in the islands and the diaspora. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Island Jazz Chat. Tonight, I have the privilege of speaking to the man who created Kaiser Fusion, a pioneer in Trinidad and Tobago jazz and Caribbean jazz at that, Mr. Michael Boothman. Michael, how are you? I'm fine. Um, I'm blessed as well. It's long, long, yes. I dress. I'm happy that you're blessed to be alive because these are, these are difficult times that we're living in with COVID-19 raging throughout the country as it was and throughout the world as it was. But you're healthy. That's, that's important to know. Yes. Okay. Um, well, as I said, when I, I have this show that I've been having a couple of years now where I talk to Caribbean jazz musicians up the dias- in the diaspora and, of course, in the islands. And it'd be remiss of me not to include you as one of those pioneers who kind of forged a direction in what Caribbean jazz was and a kind of unique version of jazz here in the Caribbean and certainly in Trinidad and Tobago. So that's how it is. So, Michael, tell me, how did it all start for Michael Boothman? Let's talk. Ah, man, I started off very young. I'm, I'm like a child prodigy. I started piano at the age of five. Mm-hmm. I had lessons and so on. And then I went from piano to guitar. By the time I was 10, I was actually playing guitar. Um, I was fortunate. I went to Ankara, which was a, uh, had a music program where mm. um, we had choir and, and so on, which I took part in that sort of thing. And we also had a band by, um, by, that was run by a teacher called Mr. Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started to play the cello, mm. uh, and also play the bass on the cello as well too. Because there you go, yeah. So my interest um, started off there. I, I had a band called Rockefellers in the early, my early teens, um, mm. which started in probably 1963, 64. Mm. Just after independence, combo yeah. was a kind of hot thing. If I understand the history of music popular music in Trinidad and Tobago. The combo scene was the big thing after those kind of big bands of John Buddy Williams and then the combos were basically focused on teenagers and the young generation. Is that true? That's very much so. Yeah. yeah. You know, all bands like uh, Manu Maslin and Reese mm-hmm. Vesta, Joey Lewis and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad was encouraged to buy my first electric guitar at the age of 13. Wow. Yeah, um, and I have to give credit to, um, to Joey Lewis, who endorsed that I was serious enough to buy them, to, to put that kind of investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I still have the same guitar, uh, it's a Fireball Gibson. There you go. Uh, yeah, I had it refurbished recently. Um, mm-hmm. But Joey, 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 my dad, when he um, went across to him to ask his advice. Mm-hmm. And, um and when he, as a matter of fact, I picked up, I, he, he loaned me his guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, he had a, a hit song on the, on the radio, um, Pete Alvender. We had an interesting introduction. And as a teenager, I, I was fascinated by it. So I, I learned it off. And I played it. Mm-hmm. From the time he heard me playing it, uh, with a little challenge. But when he heard me playing the introduction, he turned to my dad and said, yeah, you could, um, you could go straight ahead and, and get me the guitar. Joey Lewis, <laughs> important, important catalyst in your, in your career as it was. So um, when you were the Rockefellers, I mean, how many years were you within the Rockefellers? How many years did that last? Um, it lasted until the, the, from the 60s, it's about seven or eight years. Actually, mm-hmm. um, what happened before that, I, I, I met um, 
Fitzroy Coleman, a very young person, mm-hmm. I was about age 10, 11. Iconic jazz guitarist from Trinidad. Go ahead. Fitzroy was my, my dad, um, but he, before he left to go to, go to England, mm-hmm. I gave him his first job at Coconut Grass. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, his first visit was straight off the boat when he came out, came back from England. First time he came, he came with suitcases and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I picked on the street home and I was a little fella. And I can remember my dad um, and him sat down and they had a couple of drinks mm-hmm. and, and and so on. And then um, we took him home in Kokorit and um, he took out his guitar boy. And that man played Tico Tico. Yes. <laughs> I've actually heard him play Tico Tico. Yeah. Fritra is on a different planet. Clearly, one of the best guitarists that ever landed in the world. Yeah. From Trinidad, I know he was a big pioneer in England and along with some others, but really, really great stuff. He played um, Tangerine, and that guy played the bass line mm-hmm. up on the, on the, the, the uh, and melody together, man. And mm-hmm. well, after that, after hearing that man play, I, I said that I wanted I wanted to be just like him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he inspired me greatly, um, mm-hmm. and he left a stain. But I was fortunate um, to celebrate. With him, um, his 50th year in music, it was my 25th year in music. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was um, Strings of Silver and Gold. Mm. Uh, two of us played Tico Tico on stage. Okay. Uh, that's one of my, that's one of my, um, my pinnacle in terms of something that, I, that was, you know, close mm-hmm. to me, you know. But it took mm-hmm. me a, quite a long time to learn that song. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I, he used that, that song used to be played at Radio Fusion. I don't know if you were around at that time. I, I, I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> yes, I do remember Radio Fusion. <laughs> yeah, we had a Radio Fusion at the house, and on Sundays at six o'clock, that Tico Tico was that theme song. Mm. Uh, we didn't have tape recorders, um, cassette players, and record players at that time. Mm-hmm. So I had to sit by the radio to get a piece of it mm-hmm. to be um, the cram it. So I learned. It only be able to, to to develop it over a period of time. Mm. Yeah. So that 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 was the bug that st- um that stung me at the time, mm-hmm. and it still you know it's still a lasting bug because uh, left a lasting memory with me you know musically. He's clearly a pioneer, and he inspired a lot of musicians, guitarists, and other musicians, but. Going back to um, Rockefellers, if I understand it, you all actually recorded, because that was something I'm very much interested in, and I know our listeners are interested in, in terms of the recording output of all these artists that we speak to. What was your first recording with Rockefellers? We, we recorded, an, uh, we did a single first, I can't remember the name of the song, but we recorded, mm-hmm. the first song that we recorded was, or could it have been a test recording at this trance cinema, before the studios, mm-hmm. uh, all, uh, studios, it was recorded in the cinema, mm-hmm. And the band, whole band, play at the same time. Okay. Uh, then we did um, Lucky Samaru um, was the producer, uh, executive producer in mm-hmm. the studio. Yeah, Lucky Samaru. I think he was the agent for RCA Records or something like that here in Trinidad. And of course, the family owns Trans Cinema. Yeah. So he he had a he had a um, he built a studio right next to the, the cinema. Mm-hmm. And he had um, an engineer by the name of Mr. Goldfish. Goldfish. Uh, mm-hmm. And he had, um, as well, he had uh, uh, Eric Mayshoud, who was a junior, um, uh, what do you call it, an uh, assistant engineer at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we recorded um, 
music for young and the old. And back then, uh, I had my first composition played on that. That was a song called uh, Mike Samba. Composition, another one was um, uh, by Michael Clark, Maggie, Soul Madness. But we played songs like Misty and um, uh, a couple of songs, um, Sunny. Yes, yeah, Sunny. Ah, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we recorded this uh, 12 song album. Mm-hmm. So you were in the business of music from very early. How you remember that you were in your teenage years when you were recording with Rockefellers? Is that correct? I, I was about sixteen at the time, fifteen, mm. sixteen. Yeah, when I wrote that song. Wow. Yeah, the band actually started when I was about thirteen, thirteen, fourteen. You know. And you had your guitar at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing because as I said, I've I've recognized and as as a partner in this jazz and jazz in the islands magazine. I've recognized your worth. But um, I had the honor of producing one of your shows at the, at the University of Trinidad and Tobago. And of course, capturing your whole era and you capture a number of eras. Certainly you started in the combo era, but there was another phase that happened. This may be in the late 60s, certainly in the early 70s, where there was a lot of fusion happening in terms of black music, American music, Caribbean music, African music. And you were, once again, in the forefront of that, if I understand it clearly, because you had a, a band called Family Tree. Family tell, me, Tree. tell me about Family Tree. <laughs> Wait, yesterday I had a very good uh, conversation with one of my guitar players, um, Clarence Charles Bunny. He mm-hmm. played it. He was the last leg of um, of Rockefellers. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, Family Tree started in, in uh, 1969-70. Um, before the Black Power Revolution, and then, mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact, I did a, a I did a, um, a recording back then. Um, as a matter of, you know, even with the Afro Afro beat and stuff, because Andrew Tanker was still playing vibes and stuff, and, and he had his band. Mm-hmm. But Andrew team up um, on my on that recording, and he played flute, mm-hmm. uh, and that could have been probably the first time soca rhythm that was used, actually, because okay. um, important. Maggie Maggie Clark was very innovative. Mm-hmm. And, um, what instrument he played, Maggie? Drums. Drums. Okay. So the rhythm that we're dancing to today, Maggie mm-hmm. was like one of the pioneers of that that um, that mm-hmm. uh, rhythm. Uh, mm-hmm. We recorded a song um, in the Rockefellers days. We recorded a song called "Under the Mango Tree," that mm-hmm. was very popular. Um, it, was a, it was a folklore song by. Um, by by La Petite Musicale. Mm. Olive Walk, uh, if I remember. Yes, mm. Olive Walk. We did a version with a big song in the, in the, in the dance back then. Mm. Um, because the flip side was um, live cigarettes, the team from light cigarette um, cigarettes, because we did a jingle of it. 
your businessman. So, uh, you doing everything. <laughs> Advertising, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I know. We, 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 uh, uh, Rockefellers touch almost everything because uh, only yesterday we were talking about that. We mm-hmm. we were the go-to band to open for most of the main acts that came through Trinidad. Yeah, we opened for Percy Sledge, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Conley, um, the, 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 the lady who sang Mr. Big Stuff, we accompanied her. Mm-hmm. Um, we recorded, we recorded Mavis John on record. Um, we did Henry Innes, um, Johnny Braff. All of these are people that we, Johnny Braff is from Guyana, mm-hmm. uh, Guyanese singer. We did, we did, you know, we, we, we were young, but very innovative. So a lot of times that, uh, our name would get called in, in, in our, you know, in terms of recommendation, we'd be mm-hmm. uh, called to do stuff. Commercials, we did Lime McCall, we did um, live, um, live Cigarette, mm-hmm. uh, Felicity Rum, a whole leader, a lot of commercials. And I actually, we actually did the BWIA, BWIA International. It was a reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is, a, you know, I'm glad I'm here in this part of the conversation because these are the stories that we don't get, certainly in the Caribbean. I mean, a lot of biographies have been written about American musicians. Who start, you know, we're famous, you know, the Beatles started playing in clubs in Hamburg, basically strip clubs in Hamburg to become international people. So I'm glad that there's stories that musicians don't start recording immediately. They have to do work. So they play parties, they play gigs, they do advertising, jingles, that kind of stuff. And then they make their records. And of course, from that, you develop a career as it was. Um, So you say late 69, 70, you were doing um, Family Tree. And if I remember, you had a record. Family tree or family band? What's correct me if I'm wrong? Family tree. Family tree. And not a fa- family of three brothers or anything like that. The family tree of, of uh, is like growing. My, my dad always said that mm-hmm. a, a tree grows and start from the root because he mm-hmm. even had a he had a production called Seeds of Talent. You know, um, mm-hmm. and all these things. He, he believed in the growth of, of things. So my dad was always very. Um, Instrumental and mm-hmm. in, in, um, giving us directions and stuff. As being a businessman and manager of the band in those days, he had he had his input that was very up to today. I, I learned so much from him business wise, mm-hmm. and his influence as um, as yeah, I mean his influence was very strong in the band in, environment because he was the first real manager mm-hmm. of a band. Yeah. And clearly, well done, because as I said, recording, advertising work, performances, and then yeah. support work for, for, for foreign musicians coming into Trinidad. You cover the gamut. That's really great stuff to know. Um, but as I was saying, with Family Tree Band, you had a record, if I remember, it's called Taboo. That is the record, that's the record that you did with Andrew Tanker, is that correct? Andrew Tanker played on that, and Andrew Bedu. Andrew Bedu, yeah, Shango drummer. Because um, and you get you did hint at something that 
kind of Afrobeats is a kind of popular music that's happening globally right now. But yeah. that fusion of African and Caribbean and finding the African self, of course, as you said, Black Power was happening in the 1970s. And um, your contemporaries, Robert Bailey and them, had gone to England and he was the founder of OCBSA, which yeah. the people are saying invented world music. I don't know if that's accurate, but say what? We'll give them that. But um, if Family Tree was doing that in 1969, and no far fact OCBSA was formed after. <laughs> so go, go figure. Robert, Robert played, Robert had, Robert had an influence on me as well, too, eh? because mm-hmm. Robert, uh, Robert joined Rockefellers at a very early age. Mm-hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, he learned to play organ with Rockefellers because oh, really? he, mm-hmm. he was a guitarist, mm-hmm. and we didn't have we didn't have room for another guitarist. We needed mm-hmm. a keyboardist. Okay, and he he's such a good musician that he was able to transfer the guitar from piano um, guitar what he learned to know on guitar to the keyboards, mm-hmm. and he would um, talk to people people like Felix Roach. Um, uh, what's his name again? Um, Ralph Davies. Mm-hmm. Ralph Davies and, and, and Felix. Robert used to go and sit with them. Mm-hmm. And they would show him a little pointers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He had a guy called Mr. Jackman, who, a black man, mm-hmm. who used to go around teaching piano because he came, my, my brother David also learned, um, took lessons from him, mm-hmm. teaching mm-hmm. Him chords and stuff like that. He used to play that George Shering style. Okay. So, so um, Robert Robert developed that keyboard within months. Mm. You know, he's uh, uh, playing on keyboard and stuff. So it's really Rockefeller's um, started uh, Robert. Robert, uh, look at that. Yeah, look at that. And OCBC just released a record, and he's back in the band. They kind of yeah. they had a new record, and and he's the, he's the only, only original member. But the current version of OCBC has included him. They have a new record called New Dawn. But um. As I said, in that 1970 period, 1969 to 70, certainly after the Black Power Revolution in Trinidad, there was something that happened in the music. As I said, there was a lot of fusion. Everybody was experimenting, and you had forged your way. But critical, I think, at that time was a man that we all revere in this Caribbean jazz and certainly in the Kaiso jazz community, and that is Mr. Schofield Pilgrim. Yeah. who was a teacher at QRC. I think your brother David was at QRC, but you certainly at Tranquil had an opportunity to interface with him and interface with some of the other musicians. Tell me about Schofield Pilgrim, if you don't mind. All right. I, I met, I was very young, about 15, 16. I am um, Junior Doyle. Mm-hmm. Um, Junior Doyle was my best friend in, in, in those days. Um, and himself and, um, and uh, Firoz Ali. Mm-hmm. Introduced me to took me to one of the, um, the sessions on a Saturday. We used to have Scofield used to have, meet on a Saturday at QRC, mm-hmm. and me over there. And I had my, everywhere I went, I had my guitar with me. So mm-hmm. it was, it like smart a, move. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So he heard me playing and encouraged me to be part of the the, the, um, the ensemble. Mm-hmm. So I became an um, unofficial um, QRC. Um, student mm. through the music, mm-hmm. and Ophir uh, had a very, very, very big influence on everybody at that time because there were guys like um, John Smith, um, uh, John Smith, Michael George's, um, Firoz Ali, um, Ray Holman. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these people came out of that 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 uh, that, that fraternity. Was Toby uh, Tobas part of that? No. Okay. Toby, was, um, Toby 
um, came in with Clive Zander later on. Clive score was sort of the catalyst in a sense because what he did was inculcated in us to develop the music, our music, Calypso music. He said, "Oh, not settle for just playing the 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 the, the, the um, simple, simplistic chords mm-hmm. um, that come with the Calypso dance music and stuff like that." And he encouraged to reharmonize. He just taught us how to reharmonize. Um, he also put a lot of people together with us. You know, we had um, I, I took some lessons, guitar lessons from a guy called Sonny Denner. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Sonny Denner was a saxophone player that used to play with Sal Duncan and mm-hmm. a beautiful guitarist. We um, recorded on, on um, this man Cook Records, who was recording back at that time. Sonny Denner's name popped up with um, Rupert Clemendor when they did records that he had made and thing. Mm. Monster musician. I, I remember one 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 day at the, at the, at the in the class, uh, uh, passed along Savannah and Hornblow, and he turned to us and said, "What keys? What what note is that?" Yeah, they know your stuff. You <laughs> uh, would say that was G. Play G. Mm. And they play G. Oh man, it's exactly on exactly the same. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, perfect pitch almost. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, he taught us about, you know, he, he taught uh, like my right, um, right fingering and, and stuff like that, you know, because a lot of times when you learn guitar or learn an instrument, you just learn it from, from root, you know, you don't understand mm-hmm. why things are a bit um, difficult to play because of not using the right fingering and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So he helped develop, develop, um, develop my playing. Uh, in that class, we had John Blake, John, an excellent guitarist as well. Mm-hmm. He, John used to play with his, the, the, the uh, ensemble as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so through, through that, uh, we were able to, um, to, I looked at music different in terms of, uh, this is where the experimentation started to really um, set in, you know, because we, I wouldn't settle, I would, up to the day, I wouldn't settle for just hearing a song and, and going for it and that way. I would see it, hear it and expand on it to see where it can go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the um, exercise that we had with school. So, yeah. yeah. An important person, certainly in, in terms of developing um, Kaiso Jazz. Um, you mentioned Clive Zander's name. Clive, I understand, came in not at the beginning, obviously, with school fee, but they came in and they somewhere like in the mid-60s or probably yeah. closer to the 70s. They kind of hooked up as it was. Yeah. And um, as you said, he brought in Toby Tobas, and I know he worked with Michael Georges on his record. But yeah. before Clive made his record, and of course, before you made that landmark album, you were recording in Trinidad, and you had this thing called Kaiso Fusion. Tell me a little yeah. bit about Kaiso Fusion. Huh? Kaiso Fusion uh, started, uh, David, um, David was telling me yesterday, because he tend to have all the dates in his mind, he's a historian. And uh, after for Family Tree, it lasted about five or six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when David uh, migrated, David left to go on a cruise ship and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. I was doing freelance. I would do, as a matter of fact, um, I, I had uh, a situation with, uh, that I also was part of uh, Derek Walker's um, theater workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it toured. We toured um, a lot. We went to St. Thomas, and, and that okay, at that particular time, 
Uh, we did a performance at the, the University of St. Thomas, the Virgin mm-hmm. Islands. Uh, uh, professor, professor um, heard me playing um, with the band, and I think Andre was on that trip, and we played Andre's music because mm-hmm. um, he had composed the music for um, Big Man Mountain, Mountain, and Tijan. Tijan, yes, so, I remember Tijan his brothers, yeah. Uh. So I was in charge of the, 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 um, the, the, the band at, at that time because Andrew didn't travel with us and I sort of rehearsed the band in his absence. And um, when he heard me play, he came backstage and he uh, approached me and he said, um, you know, I'm impressed with your guitar playing. He said that um, your mode, you play in a, in a mode, in mode you know, the motor effect. So I said, motor, I didn't quite understand what he was saying because theory wasn't one of my strong points, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I developed a lot. My ear took me a long, a long, long, and still take me a long way, you know. And, okay. Um, so what, when he heard me play, he said, um, I reminded me, I reminded him of Santana. So at the time, I gave you that story already and you were, you were laughing about that. <laughs> Tell, me you know, Tell me again. Tell me again. I didn't know who he was talking about, Santana, because at the time, Santana wasn't popular in Trinidad. You're losing points, but keep going. <laughs> I, 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 and then I was listening to more, I was more into the Jimi Hendrix, because to be quite mm-hmm. honest, in the teens, I saw myself as a, 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 a Jimi Hendrix wannabe, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole nine years, I never used to burn guitars, though. Oh, so, it's smart move. <laughs> I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm behind the back and playing with the teeth and all that mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know, so when he when he made that observation, I thought it probably the playing with the edge because Jimmy had a tone which is very very similar to Santana as well too because mm-hmm. the fuzz mm-hmm. five kind of tone where guitar sound a little slightly distorted and stuff like that. So I thought that, that he was referring to, but. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, when he took me up after after the performance, he, uh, he took me on a hangout with some musicians that have been in a jazz club. And then he, he, he took me there because he said that there was a trend that in, in the band, the pianist, mm-hmm. I remember the name of it. But we went we went, um, we went up there and and I sat in with them mm-hmm. and I played up my ear, you know, just sat in. And I was fortunate that in my growing up that my parents, uh, repertoire listening music was jazz, mm-hmm. Johnny Mattis, and, uh, and, uh, and jazz music that my father was a very, um, so the, the collection of music that I listened to, I, you know, and my mother, um, you know, always singing jazz standards, and so I was familiar with songs. Mm-hmm. And when they were playing, I was able to um, sit in and play along with them, and he was very impressed. The way how I just you know fit in with the, with the guys, mm. and so much so that he invited me to stay back when the the the, the troop left the, the, the troop left to come back to Trinidad. I actually stayed back as a um, honorary student at the university for about a month, mm-hmm. and I had some some lessons and stuff like that. And most important was uh, mentorship because. One of the things that he instilled in me is that he, he asked me a question if um, if I saw myself 
later on in years um, playing dance music or playing in a, in a band. Because he said that, you know, that had a shelf life. Mm. You know, as you say, from the time you, 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 your looks start to fade, <laughs> the girls are following it, the guys. Yeah, are yeah nobody taking it serious. They said, nah, your day's over. Yeah. So he said that there are other avenues. One is either you be a good jazz musician, jazz musician, die playing music, mm-hmm. and, uh, or a studio musician. Mm-hmm. So when I came back from that, that that trip, my my interest in dance music started to fade. So that is where the the, the influence of the the, the, the recording and uh, family tree and Kaiso fusions started to creep in my, into into play. Mm-hmm. Now Kaiso fusion actually started. Uh, uh, Probably when I came back from 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 the recording, um, doing a recording, a uh, 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 heaven recording, actually. Oh, yeah. so it was after heaven. It was after heaven because what? I did not know know that. I just got the impression it was before heaven, but we gonna because we're gonna talk about heaven. But finish your story. Mm. But I think I mean you know it's such a long time period. We're talking you mm. know yeah. since September, <laughs> nearly fifty years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What happened then? Um, the the I decided to do a lot of freelance work, working mm-hmm. with in the studio, recording with different people. Mm-hmm. So much so that um, Jeff Nick, um, Jeff, not Jeff Nicole, who was the engineer, at, um, he had he came in after Goldfish at um, mm-hmm. and he started to work. He started, actually he built. Um, KH Records. KH Records, yeah. And yeah, I started up I started here as uh, one of the studio musicians, house mm. studio. Uh, you know. So that was the, that, uh, I guess, how the, the, the heaven thing started because I started recording. I did my first recording, um, not first recording, but solo album, first, solo uh, 45, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Nicole um, saw me recording with everybody, and he he, uh, he had a, we had a joke on him. He said, "Michael, in a German accent, mm-hmm. what do you mean he has a cut and a freedom." <laughs> <laughs> All he was saying, he said, "Because I would be there from from early morning until the next five o'clock. I'd just go home, change your clothes, and come back. Clothes, have a, uh, something to eat, and then mm-hmm. come back in the studio." And living on coffee and and, and, and and sandwich and you know the other stuff too. But I didn't yeah. say what. Was it the man that recorded that you did? Do you remember? Um, Digo Shuffle. Digo Shuffle. And saying it with music. There you go. Now, uh, uh, because we already mentioned the name Heaven, and I kind of know this story, but I certainly want to want your listeners to know, Say No Dirt Music was an important song that led towards a meeting of an important man that led towards you being in New York to record an important album. Right. We have time. 
let's go through that sequence. Tell me the story of heaven. Yeah, well, I actually, again, I was playing in the tents and recording and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I went on tour with um, Wildfire. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we did Virgin Islands, um, Antigua, Tortula, uh, uh, St. Thomas, St. Croix. Mm-hmm. And, and when I got back home from, from that um, trip, uh, my mother, uh, who was the matriarch of the music industry um, at that time, because everybody knew, knew me, knew my mother, because she was head and head. She used to be the one that you go to to ask information about history mm-hmm. and stuff like that, because she's a historian. Mm-hmm. She, um, she, and she had a, a wicked sense of humor, you know? So mm-hmm. um, she... When I go back from tour, she said, "Ah, oh, you a star boy, you know." I got yeah, people calling from Hollywood and thinking you had a man from Hollywood looking for you and thing like that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take her seriously. I say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, right, right, okay, okay, mom, enough," mm-hmm. you know. But the following day, I got this call from Clarence Avant. Clarence Avant, ladies and gentlemen, just remember that uh, name, Icon, the Black Godfather. Continue of America. <laughs> Clarence spoke to me on the phone. He said, Michael, I just, I came to your mother, I came to your house and I met your mother. She's a remarkable lady and stuff like that. And um, she gave me uh, your record and I told her that I was interested in in having you on my label. uh, Are you interested? So I said, interested? Yeah. How fast did you say yes? (laughs) That that, that almost came out like boom. (laughs) One shot, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quick, 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 quick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, here what we'll do, I'll send you a ticket from mm-hmm. to, to, um, to America mm-hmm. and we'll take it from there. Hmm. So within a couple of days, a ticket came and um, I packed my bag and head out to think. But I wasn't even prepared because mm-hmm. I never had anybody and I, I didn't know who we were, really was and stuff mm-hmm. like that at the time. But this is an opportunity. So I, like, uh, there was uh, no one of them, not, don't know the situation. I called my, my, my uncle in, 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 in Queens. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, a gentleman called me from New York and he wanted me to come up to the States and thing like that. I want to be able to stay by you. So come and pick me up at the airport, come on this flight. And I flew in. And when I reached in Kennedy Airport and walking out to the customs, I see this white guy, a chauffeur with a big mm. sign, uh, Michael Boothman. Mm-hmm. I went to know if there was another Michael Boothman because I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Come to me. They have somebody to send somebody for you. And mm. this guy came with a big one of those stretch limos. There you go. Uh, so I recognize man, recognize totally freak out though because I say, Well, I, I didn't expect this. Mm-hmm. So I say, I turned to my uncle, I say, Hear what? Follow me, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> Caribbean common sense, you're right. <laughs> you know, you just common sense yourself, yeah. Follow me because I don't know where I'm going and I don't know who I'm going to meet. Mm-hmm. Follow me. So this guy. Put me up at the Parkland Hotel. I don't know if you guys know. Yeah, I well, yeah. The Parkland Hotel is a top top. If I remember, I think Donald Trump at one point had owned a hotel and it was like one of the top hotels in New York. Like Waldorf Astoria Parkland Hotel, yeah, that kind of thing. It is one of the, if not the best hotel in New York City. Mm-hmm. And when I reached here, I just probably have a jeans, I just had a little jacket on, um, thing, mm-hmm. over jeans and stuff like that. 
And I used to hear the mariachi or the, the, the front of the thing, open the door for me and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, they could do a movie and they're sitting on me. This thing is... <laughs> Somebody central because I walk in here like I never see come see, you know. What I mean, yeah, walking there, and um, and I think it was either I, I Joe Fraser one of the top boxers, and then mm. you know, uh, lining up to go, go in the, the lobby. Mm -hmm. And I walking in there, and uh, he said, Michael Booth, come here, you are uh, Ivan, we say Ivan's guest, yes, all right. Then the guy took up my bags and stuff like that. And brings me up to a suite. When we reach up in the the the, the room, mm -hmm. I put on my bags. I dip my hand on Kasim's hand up there, looking like he did. Yeah, 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 like you want to get money. Get some money. I mm -hmm. didn't have much money in my pocket, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. I felt a little kind of like, wow, I had to take out money to pay this man. I don't know what I get in. You know, what mm -hmm. I can survive without money in my pocket? I give the man a twenty dollars, and the guy look at the money like. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> you're the parkland brother. <laughs> that isn't you in the parkland hotel. I, I was so embarrassed, you know, but that's what I had, so I didn't feel comfortable there. So, Clarence, mm -hmm. uh, next morning, Clarence flew in because he was in California and flew in mm -hmm. have a breakfast meeting mm -hmm. and um, going to going uh, when we were walking out and stuff like that. Yeah, he said, well, I have a little meeting there. He put some change in my hand was something that I didn't expect. Because mm -hmm. I know I ain't talked to him any, but you know, he put money in my hand. He put me up so far. And mm -hmm. says, um, we'll meet. Then we had this meeting. And um, first thing I told him, I, just, I said, I want to move to my hotel. I want, to, I want to, to get somewhere where I could just be myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that, uh, on a different level for me, mm -hmm. and I, I wanted to be a little more grassroots. So, um, uh, I set up a Sheraton where I could uh, in and out, mm -hmm. apart from all the activities. So, yeah, um, we had a meeting and stuff like that. And he said to me, um, where, where would I like to record? So, I saw the studio, he took me up to the to, to RC. Mm -hmm. The power that man had with the black man was so overwhelming. I mean, he walked in. The, the, the record from from the time he reached the bottom and said like everybody ship, ship up you know hey, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who he was eh? so I mean I seen that kind of um, seen mm -hmm. that kind of um, that experience uh, that people moving and jumping at his call and stuff like that he took me mm -hmm. to a with uh, all the heads of my um, of CLA I mean all the Presidents and vice presidents and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and put me into one of those type of things where I had to talk about my country and demographics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The good thing I had some little grooming and things like that. Meeting my, um, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my talk. uncle, yeah, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Holder, you know, he had a his uncle, yeah. Uh, he used to he used to throw me in the middle of the ocean many times. I go to um, to hang out with him. Mm. You have all these uh, all these people sitting down there, and I have to mm. to be able to converse because me being a shy Trinidadian, mm -hmm. and it's put me in the middle of a conversation. And people ask me, oh, "Tell me something about Trinidad," you know. So I was able to to to, to wing it, you know, and, and mm -hmm. talk about Trinidad a bit and stuff like that, and. 
he flew me out. He told he told the, the vice president. He said, "Well, this is this is like my son. So you take care of him. You know, make sure everything is right." You know, he answered him. Um, he said, "So I, he wanted me to fly out with him to California." Mm-hmm. I fly to you to ask me who the people I listen to and what musicians I like and you know who. Quincy Jones is at the top of my list because I'm a big fan of Quincy Jones. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Before he, he made it, he was mm-hmm. playing with um, Trumpet or Oliver Nelson and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I told him Quincy, he said, oh man, that's no problem. I know Quincy, I mean, I, I started his career. <laughs> They're best friends. <laughs> yeah. I started his career, I said, I also started Lalo Schifrin. Yeah, Lalo Schifrin, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, that he opened doors for and created their, their career and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he didn't tell me what he was doing, actually. So one day, yeah, I think it was about the second or third day, he came to meet me. He said, we're going to go for um, we'll see some studios and stuff like that. The man walked me into Quincy Jones' office. Up by you. Not knowing who I was going to meet. Mm-hmm. And I was blown because when she was said, oh, one of those big damn, the director chairs, mm-hmm. I don't see the head mm-hmm. from when he walked in the office. And, then, and as he turned the desk, as he turned around, I could have fainted. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can well imagine. Yeah. Hey, Hey Q, this is uh this is my boy from Trinidad and he's bad man. He's one of the bad guys from over there. It's I I feel kind of funny at that point because I mean this is the the almighty Quincy Jones talking about telling me him telling him. Quincy to 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 make me feel comfortable. He said, Yeah, I know there there are a lot of good guys out there, man. They describe it as one of the bubbling places and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And and he said, you know, um uh, Q, this guy wants you to 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 to, to um to orchestrate his album and do work with him and then the album. So oh man, Quincy, I um, you say, oh man, Clarence, I can I wouldn't have to do that. I'm involved right now with Iron Side. He's doing Iron Side music. Mm. Um, the TV series. TV yeah. series, yes. Mm. So you know, I, I'm overwhelmed with music and stuff like that. But I'm sure you're gonna meet somebody else, you know, to handle it stuff. So my sec- second choice was um, Wilton Felder. Mm-hmm. With Crusaders, I said, the Crusaders, Josh Crusaders, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have a big fan of theirs. Um, we may, I made an appointment to meet with, 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 um, with, with, with Wilton, but um, the, the Tyrants told me about Sonny Book. Mm-hmm. In Sonny Book, I think he was kind of young. A shot uh, producer doing point system. Mm-hmm. And um, Sonny was available. So Sonny came across to meet me at the hotel and then drove me across to his apartment. And we hit off. We hit off right away. He started pulling on the music mm-hmm. from the um, collection and he put on average mm-hmm. uh, bite band, cold, cold, cold sweat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some you know there's was funky funky um rock jazz music mm-hmm. and it was things that I like and he like we were on the same page you know mm-hmm. so and then he, he, we hit it off and stuff like that. By the way, he was also a Scorpio like myself. 
So, you know, we, we sort of gel, you know, the personalities kind of mm-hmm. at the time. At the time, yeah. At the time, you know. Uh, so I, I settled for, for um, working with him. So I, I didn't bother to have the, the meeting with Vinton the following and clients, I told clients, I prefer to go back to New York. So I like I like that energy that New York mm-hmm. gives. New York is a place that's bubbling, you know. Yes. You walk up the door and the energy is there, you know. Mm-hmm. The is so laid back and mm-hmm. you have to drive to the place and, you know, so everybody's superficial like shit, man. Everybody's just, mm-hmm. you know, where Tinsel City is really the name of that place. It's mm-hmm. so false. And I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't relate it that much. Um, I also met I also met um, George Benson. Uh, All right. We stayed, at, we, stayed, we stayed at the same hotel in California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I was having a meeting with someone, and um, I came down for breakfast. I had my guitar with me, and uh, he was sitting on the table uh, on the counter. Mm-hmm. I recognized him because I remember seeing him because I, I went to his concert at um, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he became very popular, you know, he's, he's played um, Jack McDuff, mm-hmm. but he, he seen him at that time in New York City, was for almost like a price of a beer, you know, working place, I was in there, and he's playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's right there, yeah. You know, and um, no, I'm seeing him um, next, sit down next to me, and we start a conversation, I say, hey, I say, well, I said, uh, I said, I said, you play as well. So, I, mm. so yeah, we started talk music and stuff like that. And he asked me, who, who are my influences and so on. So my first, the first person I, I told him was Wes Montgomery. Yes. And he said, well, you're talking guitar play, you know. You know, um, you know he said he's also a big fan of um, Wes Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I think that was his biggest influence, yeah. So he's, yeah, because he played, played mm-hmm. the Tom style. Tom style, yeah. Mm. So, so I, we t- I told him about the record collection I had, about, you know, all the different records I had of Wes Montgomery. He invited me up to his room. Uh, he took out his guitar inside, I played some riffs and stuff like that, showed me some stuff. Uh, so that all of those things are, you know, memorable times, you know, in my memory, things that are, that type of experience. What, what, what is, what is a, a surprising, or I would suggest a surprising, as I said, you are out of the island, out of Trinidad, and Clarence Avant, who as we acknowledge, is the Black Godfather, he's like one of the biggest men in the music industry still. And he heard your music, I think he was singing with your music, and he wanted to check you out, wanted to bring you up, and basically gave you the red carpet. Took your Parkland Hotel, come let's meet Quincy, who's the biggest influence, well, meeting George Benson is, is like I said on the cake, right? especially if you're a guitarist. But I think what happened, and, and clearly you're going down the road of making an album, but I think one of the things that really surprised me is that he actually put you in the studio and you then had an opportunity, if I understand it correctly, to basically pick who you want to play yeah. with and you picked the, effectively the best of the best. Because that yeah. album is, and I, 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 I've, I have reviewed the album and it's one of those albums, as I said, it was a kind of pinnacle album and certainly me getting into this business of jazz as it was. Uh, and it's not that I'm the, the number one person in jazz, but I think there were two landmark albums. You already called one, which is Clyde's record, but certainly your album was in a different direction. It was more of a kind of 
um, jazz rock, or not jazz rock, sorry, soul jazz and fusion, which was happening at the time in the 70s, in the mid-70s when you were there. And clearly you also had that, well, you said Kaiser Vision may have come after. I got the impression it was happening at that point. No, I think what happened, where the name, the name Kaiser, I, I had sort of um, coined that name Kaiser Fusion because mm-hmm. that's how I saw the influence of my music because mm-hmm. the, the music is influenced by um, all the various um, styles of music in the Caribbean, in Brazil, mm-hmm. the, the, mm-hmm. the Latin influence, the jazz, the R&B and stuff. But I feel that because the mother beat is Calypso, you know, Calypso. Mm-hmm. Have the the, in, the 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 it's like the, the uh, chef would put the the, the final touch. Yeah, they let it touch it. sprinkle the essence on top of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the kaito is like that. Mm-hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, they, I used the word on 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 my my um, on on my liner notes. Uh, kaito mm-hmm. I explain my music is kaito fusion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is where the 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 name. And when I came back to Trinidad. Obviously, I, I to, to carry that legacy the, of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the band spawned from that, uh, that um, from, the from that name, that, from that yeah. music. Yeah, as as I said, one of the things that um, and I think Trinidad recognizes, aside from being on taboo label, having Clarence Avant, the number one man in the music business, probably second only to Barry Gordy at the time, at the helm and basically guiding your career, you couldn't ask for anything greater than that. Um, I, as a, your, your music, to me, that was a kind of, I was a teenager at that time, and I was just thinking, this is where Trinidad music is supposed to go. Because, yeah, Calypso was popular, and everybody knew all Sparrow and Kitchen and all them days and things, but there was something that, certainly having those American musicians, and I think you also had some Caribbean musicians, if I understand, Crusher Bennett was a percussionist on the gig. Yeah, was, oh, Maggie, was Maggie Clark one of the musicians on the, on the record? Yeah, here yeah, what happened there is uh, I, had, I had I had a, I had an open palette to pick mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing they did line me up with um with Nancy Jeffries. Nancy was like a coordinator. She was the, the person that when my chaperone, she mm-hmm. you know the person she would take me around to clubs to hear mm-hmm. the, the thing that happening in New York City. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, she first thing she do is hook me up with um. Howard Lindemann, who was the engineer. Mm-hmm. I, I was like my brother another, from another mother right now. Mm-hmm. He's in my life. Yes. Um, um, I mentioned Beaver. Mm-hmm. I knew Kasha as Beaver. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bennett. Mm-hmm. And he left Trinidad with Ron Berridge back in the day, and he used to mm-hmm. be a wicked conga player. Mm-hmm. I, I figured that when I, once I have the 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 the, uh, the, the, the calypso vibe would be out of him, mm-hmm. um, his his flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was trying to get Steve God because Steve God was the drummer that I really went for. Yeah, you're going for the big guns there, boy. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, Steve God again too. He was out of town and. Mm-hmm. His, Sub was uh, Chris Parker. Yeah. Uh huh. Parker was his sub. You know, he mm-hmm. almost sound like Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, almost because Steve is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the closest I could get to Steve was Chris Parker. Mm-hmm. And I think Maggie, who I mentioned there, was 
a boy from, from back home, but mm-hmm. maybe he had already moved to Baltimore from Trinidad. Mm-hmm. He was living in Baltimore. I flew back home because uh, I wrote the, the, the lyric for Heaven in Tobago mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And on that trip, coming back home, I wanted to, to um, I came, I came for David, my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, I made a lot of enemies too because I Reese and all them guys. They were, boy, you, you know, you get too big now, you can't take me no more. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> they can't leave me, leave me out. Yeah, that is the nature of the music business. The music business is, mm-hmm. I learned the business of music where the song is greater than the people. You know, so you you have to get what you're looking for to fit the type of music mm-hmm. that you play. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do the best. Mm-hmm. It's not a friend, it's not about friend. It's about who could contribute the best. Mm-hmm. Um, thing like that. So I got back into, into New York. When I got back into New York, uh, I got with a, 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 a um, Sephra Herman, she is a contractor, one of the biggest contractors, if not the biggest contractor mm-hmm. in the city. Um, she does Broadway, you know. Yeah, she she books the, books the musicians for gigs, whether it's in the studio or on Broadway, yes. She, she's a big one. And her father had um, a copyist film that did, um, would do all the, the scoring of the music mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. There's a music industry in New York City alone that rivals countries. They have all the systems in place to do the thing to make sure their business operates. Go ahead. But it's specific mm-hmm. and on point. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, Nancy, okay, with Sephra, uh, Sephra um, was the one that introduced me to Leon Pendavis. Mm-hmm. Leon Pendavis is a little giant. I think he's still with Saturday Night Live Band, if I remember clearly. Mm-hmm. Hell of a musician. And Leon, with Leon, Penn Davis. Uh, and then um, I had guys like Melvin Stam, John Faddis. John Faddis, yes, I remember that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's the other one again? Saxophone player. Frank West. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I had the, 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 the symphonic song was from I had a philharmonic orchestra um, people like the, the string section and oboe player and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, so they they were able to she was able to put all of those things together and uh, Leon was the orchestrator he he and I sat together um, I because I don't notate mm-hmm. I could play out what I want you saw me do that so many times. I play all the parts that we want each section to you. I play all the parts or sing it out and play it, and he would note it. Mm-hmm. And the different types of harmony and give you the, the, um, the division of instruments to what who plays this and what whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was the, the core of the thing. But Crusher Bennett, back to Crusher Bennett now. So I asked him about this beaver, and nobody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And I found it strange because everybody told me, uh, especially Toby telling me that, you know, beaver out there, you know, looking like at the beaver. Mm-hmm. So it's not when I walk in a session that um, um, Howard was doing, and I look through the um, window in the studio to see who was playing on the session. I see beaver sitting down there. So I say, well, mm-hmm. that is beaver there. 
Crusher. <laughs> yeah, boy, Crusher, boy, yeah. <laughs> I opened the door. Mm. Uh, so we, he started to laugh with the, and he started to talk in the Trinidad accent. Now everybody thought it was crazy because mm. he thought he was an American. Mm. So, you know, when he answered, he answered machine there is a very strong American accent. Hey, baby, what's happening? This ever day is, yeah. <laughs> Code switching, we good at that. Freshwater Yankee accent, we really good at that. Crusher Bennett. You're talking to Crusher Bennett. Yeah, right? Crusher Bennett, yeah. I hear you. And then when you go outside, they see all the drums and, it's, and the, um, the cases of the drum and Crusher. Crusher mm-hmm. and you know, and um, so I was able to meet Crusher there. It was fun, fun working with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the session went, what was nice about it is that, that I mean, um, after my first day in the studio, I made everybody relax. I started to talk shit, just like how we talk in Trinidad. I ain't put on no shit. I just talk, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I had a laugh, comfortable. Yeah, I went yeah. Out, I went out to Brooklyn, I guess, a mango and roti and thing. I bring it to my bag. And mm-hmm. other stuff as well, too. I had it there. Mm-hmm. And then when I, got, when I got back in the studio, I threw a mango for this one. And so I had everybody laughing and having a good time. And, you know, I bring all the best and everybody. So the, the 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 night after the morning after this session at about two o'clock in the morning, I get this call from from Howard. He said, "Wow, Michael, that was such a great session we had there today. I had, it was the best session I've had so far in my life." Mm-hmm. Said said, "What I could do for you, um, I would get here early in the morning mm-hmm. um, and set up and do the drum song for you." So I was able to bring. The project in in a matter of just over seven or eight days, about ten days for the max. Wow! And I also had a deadline too because my my wife was expecting my firstborn. Mm. I wanted to be back home. Yes. For the birth, it was that... the of um, August. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on I was on point at the time because. Howard made it easy for me because drums is normally the easiest um, instrument to, 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 to record. You have to, you have to clean it up. You have to make sure the micing is right and the song and everything. Mm-hmm. And got, so when I got there to start my session, the drums was ready, things were in place, and it started to work. When I was doing the string section, um, string section and the orchestration, boy, that was... And I walk out of the studio crying, man. I was, I was mm-hmm. flying. I was, you know, so emotionally. Um, I was like, you know, I had to pinch myself and say, you know, like, this is a dream. Can't believe this is happening to me. You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk out there. I, I see these people coming in. And I felt that I wanted to have a little chance to talk to them, to know who I'm playing with and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But these guys are crack shots. They come, bam, 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 bam. You like it? And then go on next gig. <laughs> yeah. When I had to talk to them, I had to talk to them on the elevator going down. <laughs> it happens like that. Yeah. Going yeah. mm. on the elevator. When I reached outside, all of them had the limos and the chauffeurs waiting on them. So those guys were really high, high paid guys and they were really big in the game, you know. So they were on the money right through. Um, yeah. And one of the, the, one of the fallacies that, 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 that was exposed to me. You know, back home here recently, the guys tell me, boy, you know, I guess it's to have more money. Well, you can't play trumpet and trumpet and people together. It's two different mouthpieces. And mm-hmm. listen, you know, that lack of experience, I didn't know. 
mm-hmm. you know, to see John Faddis have his trumpet and his, and his fugal, and he does the trumpet part here and put it on and, and, and play the fugal part. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was an eye-opener for me. I know that there's a kind of a hustle certainly in the, in the New York scene once you get that call do the gig because if you lose the gig of course it comes back and haunts you in the end right so 
having that opportunity, as you rightly did, working with the best session musicians in New York to create this landmark Kaiso Fusion album that kind of incorporated jazz and R&B and Calypso, as you say, the mother song, Calypso, I think was so important. They did a great job with it in terms of musicality, but the business of music is the business of music because I also understand at that time that Taboo Records itself was going through some turmoil so that as much as we in Trinidad certainly revered the record, and I know that you were lucky enough many years later to get it re-released on CD, a lot of people didn't hear the record when they should have heard it back in 1976, 77. Yeah. So that um, I, I know it didn't affect your career because that was a kind of starting point for an accelerated career for you as a right. musician, as a producer, as a ranger, certainly as a touring musician, because I also know that you did some work with some other musicians out there and thing. But let's let's come back, if you will, after heaven. Did you come back to Trinidad right away or did you stay in America and do some work out there? I, I stayed around a little bit. I, I kind of moved around because um, mm-hmm. I, when I get cold out there, I want to be back home. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I come back for the Calypso. So at least I make my hustle there, you know, the Calypso tents and arranging and playing for Calypsonians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I recorded all these, all the Calypsonians I could think about. The only person I didn't record I was Sparrow. Um, and that felt true because. Then match, then blend as it was. Yeah, that happens. Well, one of the things that certainly now we're close to approaching the 1980s, and I think literally at 1980, you as a producer with your Kaiso Fusion were arranging music for other persons, and there was a kind of landmark song that you did an arrangement for for a vocalist who we all know, Miss Charmaine Ford. At the time, she was, I guess, I was a teenager, and she did a cover of um, Bobby Caldwell's What You Won't Do for Love. That arrangement and that song certainly was unique to our, our ears and thing. Tell me a little bit about that process, one, and secondly, moving forward. How did that, your career as a producer and arranger develop as it moved along into the 80s, into the 90s? Well, um, when I came back, uh, when I came back, I'm not sure if um, I was still in it, I was um, kind of in transit, really. Mm-hmm. I had, um, 
I was on the, on the Allison Hennessy talk show in the morning, uh, morning show on, on television. Um, and while, on the, while being interviewed on the show, uh, uh, I got this Colleen from with Shami. Colleen, I did. Uh, one of the guys was interested in uh, talking with me. Yes. And that's uh, why so I referred the call to after the program. So when um, when when I got out of the, the program, I spoke with her. And at that time, I was working doing clubs. I actually started the the. the Club clubbing in the week, live entertainment in the week is one of my first um, projects here in Trinidad. Because um, I felt when I came back home, I was bored, shit, you know, because nothing happening. It's only Friday <laughs> and Saturday and maybe yeah. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the it's crickets and frogs in the nighttime. I was tired, you know, I, and I coming coming from New York, where you know the siren and the things mm-hmm. buzzing and so on. So um, I was able to meet Jamal. Jamal, who had Rose Royce. Mm, Rose Royce discotheque, yeah. Went mm-hmm. to him and made a proposal of doing um, a night on a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So that was the first night, first thing happened. And then, uh, then uh, Palava. Um, uh, was this Samanette's Palava place on Upper Frederick Street there? Yeah. Also, um, Cricket Wicket. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two other places that uh, started to, to follow through. Uh, each of them, we were like, the people call us up and say, why don't give us a night to come and play this? And, and so on. Mm-hmm. So I invited Charmaine across the road, right? Because they seem to be my uh, most central place. Mm-hmm. And we used to rehearse there and so on, or uh, practice there and stuff like that. And I liked uh, her on time that she was on. She was on point. She, you know, she came. She made a appointment with me, and she made it t- at on time. Mm-hmm. And she looked the part. And when she sang, we started to sing. We started to hear her voice and stuff. Uh, I say, yeah, this is something I can work with. Mm-hmm. But it took me about a year actually to actually groom and get it get it right. With her, you know, mm-hmm. pick the right songs and so on. I've always had a knack for um, for picking hit songs. You know, even back in, in the sixties. Mm-hmm. My band played, um, we recorded Michelle by the Beatles. Okay. Uh-huh. Before the Michelle ever reached out of London. Oh, really? Uh, okay. That was, a, that was a milestone too, because I, I, what happened, Robert Bailey, um, being British, mm-hmm. we, we used to be very into uh, British pop mm-hmm. and stuff. We used to get a magazine called Tidbit Magazine. That was like the um, inquire, inquiry mm-hmm. um, gave it all okay. mm-hmm. stories and things. Mm. Even our style of dressing was very, very British. And so we were we were the first to wear hipsters. <laughs> uh, we were called uh, low rise, low rise fans. Yeah, <laughs> it's off for the magazine because we saw this that thing trending there, and uh, we we went to. to Taylor. We had several tailors it's just to dress us and so on, mm-hmm. and had the pants. I, I mean, I shifted from the shaman story because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, to, to touch on the, the Beatles song. Mm-hmm. So we were able to hear the songs, I uh, want to hold your hand and so on. When I heard Michelle, I gravitated towards that song and recorded it. So much so that when it was released by in the Caribbean and, and thing like that. People in Trinidad say, hey, boy, I have a business group doing your music, boy. Uh, oh. You know, I, 
you know, because mm-hmm. our song was recorded uh, before it was released. Their one was released mm-hmm. outside, mm-hmm. you know, and was through that channel. So, what you won't do for love was a, a, an example of that, that same kind of example. Because mm-hmm. when I heard you won't do for love, it sounded good, but I figured I could have done a better job in terms of arrangement. Mm-hmm. So I tried, you know, and um, I did it. I did a ting 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 ting, and I make it a little pop disco, you know, and thing like that. And I wrote a song. Uh, waiting for your love. That was yes. the flip side. Mm-hmm. Flip side. And mm-hmm. I had a, I did a collab with um, Carl Jacobs. So Carl and I, Carl created my band and one of my early bands too. Carl, 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 and Carol. I mean, a lot of moments, everybody here when they look back, look back and they David Rudder and all came. David, Carl uh, brought David to, mm-hmm. to join the band, but at the time, I didn't want to. Not that I didn't like his voice or anything like that, but I was mm. looking at the numbers. Many people in the band. Yeah, yeah I wanted to keep it down, you know? Mm-hmm. Keep it the numbers at the time. But um, Carl was one of my, my closest friends and, and, mm. and, and a very prolific uh, lyricist in the song, right? Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he penned the lyric for, for the song. Mm-hmm. He did it. Uh, he recorded that song. And you know, the what it was. What is strange about that? When I produced that, I had, I had, I had um, people coming and look at me for money and things like that because I was winning, money in terms of production and stuff like that. I got threatened and all that. I think my life was almost really. I came here. A guy came with a gun and thing and said, "Tell me, are you know what you thing?" Because I had, a, I borrowed money from a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, not borrowed. He loaned me the money. He he mm-hmm. came to me and he said, "You know, Michael, you have." Um, you know, I know you're your neighbor, and I know mm-hmm. you have a lot of music and things like that. But I didn't want to, to, to go to the bank. Mm-hmm. He says, how much it costs to do a, an album, a single? I say, it would cost me a couple of dollars. So he said, well, whatever I call, I call him. He said, that's like, that like cigarette money to me. <laughs> I fall for the bit. And he... Now, if he had loaned, if he had loaned me a lump sum of money to booked the studio time, mm-hmm. uh, I had the musicians, I might have been able to block dates. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to accomplish the project in less time. Mm-hmm. But when I got the money in little pieces, I had to book time for forwards, mm-hmm. forwards, forwards. Right? So it took longer than I'd expect. And, mm-hmm. and he called in. And I never forget he called in for, for um, payment. And, and I was like, if you have the recording yet, mm. I sent two uh, thugs to, to, to rough me up to take away my vehicle. <laughs> so I, I a taste of all of those things. I mean, I tell a story, you know, I have stories to tell, you know. Um, you know, as I say, this the conversation that we have in here, the initial plan was, of course, to talk about your music career. Then, but these are important stories to know because... We all hear, we, we hear these stories, we read about these stories, certainly with foreign acts and that kind of stuff. But they happen right here in Trinidad. We also right. know that jazz musicians have lives that are, you know, not, that are not perfect. They have, you know, problems with drugs, problems with women, problems with children, all that kind of stuff. But um, clearly they also have situations where they, they need money and they have to borrow money from people who are not banks, who obviously will come on, as I said, rough you up, take back the money. Um, I don't want to I don't want to dwell on that a little too long, but certainly I think one of the things that these stories reflect though is that musicians in Trinidad and musicians in the Caribbean generally live live exciting lives, right? You have 
certainly you had this brilliant opportunity with Clarence Avant back in the late seventies, where you basically mix and mingle with all the top top. You met your hero Quincy Jones and that kind of stuff. You came back to Trinidad. You produced to me one of the most iconic songs, certainly by one of the best female voices that this country has ever produced. And your career continued on, and you certainly took the Kaiso Fusion brand regionally, if not globally. One of the things that I do know is that certainly by the, by the 80s and certainly by the late 80s, or even into the 90s, there's this new phenomenon called a Caribbean Jazz Festival. Every island in the Caribbean had a jazz festival. Yeah. And I know for a fact that you used to be on everyone. You were like a first call for every single one of them. <laughs> how does that happen? Oh, Michael, how does that happen? Tell me about that. How does that happen? Well, I used to campaign a lot. Eh? I, I, I take my own little money, little pocket money thing, and travel mm-hmm. to the various islands and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, spread the music. You know, I go I'll fall in there. Probably I would know one person and go on bunk by them and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. go to the club and, and, and sitting with musicians. So I got a, a sort of, like a politician, I canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, so at the end of the day, I end up jamming people and people ask me to stay back and come play with them and stuff like that. So my name get, get, get kind of in the ears of people of the music industry mm-hmm. throughout the Caribbean and stuff. So um, when BET, who was the first um, sponsor? Producer, mm-hmm. uh, producer. Uh, producers of these concert um, festivals mm-hmm. came in to St. Lucia. St. Lucia. Mm-hmm. Lucia didn't have St. Lucia didn't have a, a jazz. Well, they had um, Luther Francois and Boonson. Boonson, yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, at, at, the, at the time. They wasn't. Uh, they didn't have a group. Mm-hmm. Well, they were individual players that played. Mm-hmm. And um, when many got, got called for for that, I mean, to get in a jazz festival, you normally have a, a label that would actually um, fund your your expenses and. Mm-hmm. Put it in line with it and start promotion because part of their promotion and stuff like that. Yes. But I came through the back door um, through being a, a, a name out there and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I did the first few festivals in St. Lucia. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one was to me one of my biggest um, and the closest one to me the one I when I uh, opened for Nancy Wilson and C. Um, Wilson. Why right, there you go. Freddie Cole, not Kiko, brother. Mm. So I opened for that show. Uh, I, I did one of the shows with um, Stanley Jordan. Stanley Jordan. Yes. Uh, you want to just play the guitar upside? I used to see play the guitar upside down. But I know Stanley Jordan. I'd see them perform in Washington, D.C. And of course, in you know, that unique way, plays uh, it like a piano. Blew my mind. Just I never forget yeah. that performance. Two guitars. You play one guitar here and another guitar on a rack. Yeah, I've, I've seen a video of that. I, yeah, it's unreal. It's really unreal. So you played your jam because I know there's a photograph of you, Stanley, and I think Boo. Um, that was a, a real performance. I was a, on stage, major main stage. That was not a jam. That was a performance. A performance. There you go. Yeah, and the thing is, we only had a, our rehearsal. Mm. I flew in. That show was like on a Sunday. Yes. Yeah, they, they flew me in on Sunday morning. So, so straight from the airport, mm-hmm. I went to the um, a little conference room in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And they had little two, two ampli- three amplifiers there. And we decided, no, we had a little discussion on the phone of which were songs that you know, we might think of playing and stuff like that. But we actually, when we reached there, we decided uh, what songs we're going to do. And um, what was outstanding was Spain. We did we called Spain. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we heard Spain. No, Spain is a tickly song to play. Yeah, kind of odd meters and that is sixty notes and thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you play the comfortable tempo. Mm-hmm. But we rehearse it and stuff. But at the first beginning, when I got a, to, to see this guy play, and this guy started to play, I, I got dumbfounded. I couldn't even play. You know, I just said, yeah. so yeah. I'm all open and watching him because he mm-hmm. was like, I'm playing, I'm trying to figure out if I'm in tune because his positioning is different. And I know, I mean, I know all, I know a lot of chords. Man. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, because I could start by a pianist and play with the pianist by watching his hands where he playing. Mm-hmm. I'm watching his hands to see where you know, what chords he played. Mm-hmm. What chords he played, you know, and I'm going like this, and then I watch. I can't start to play because I just flying forward. What are you doing? So after a while, he keeps saying, um, "Come on, Mike, let's 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 hear you play something. Play something, man." So when he said that, I, I say, "Well, I don't think I'm in tune." <laughs> He apologized. He said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I don't tune my guitar conventionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Guitar in fourths. I said, oh, my God. Yeah, you have me there in a, in a, in a quandary for a long period. That's what's mm-hmm. in there. I, I, you know, and then we started to feel comfortable afterwards inside the play. But when we, picked, we played Spain, we used it at a moderate tempo. And it was going good and stuff like that. And we did after that thing. The the other rehearsal was song check actually, mm-hmm. where we finish up and it's like not where the endings and stuff like that. It's song check, and then he there was supposed to be three guitars, not not three guitars and a piano or bass. Three guitars. Three so, guitars. First up. Mm-hmm. Three guitars. So he says, um, someone could could you give me a piano to play? I say a piano. I say all right, he's Stanley Jordan. So I mean. Mm-hmm. So anything and get it in. I mean, it's true. Yeah, hotel will just give him anything. You know, I can ask for this. So they brought this big piano and put it in the thing. So when we did the sound check here, and he eventually ended up playing piano and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful piano and so on. But actually, in the performance, when we we're doing the performance, in the middle of the performance, um, Boo look at me and I look at them. We look at each other and say. Yeah, I'll give him a chance to, to, to show, show his skills. Mm-hmm. So, Boo and I stepped out off the stage and we stood at the, at the side of the stage and we talking. Mm-hmm. And when he playing and so he playing that song, song for my father. Mm-hmm. Playing it and he doing bass lines and comping chords and melody and, and you know counter melodies and stuff like that. All of a sudden, I'm hearing piano. And the guitar still playing, so we blew at the same time. This is another comedy central. Both of us eyes turned <laughs> together to see what was happening out there. The guy was playing the guitar with the left hand and the right hand playing the piano. Yeah. So unreal. Unreal. I saw, yeah, as I said, I saw him and I just said, What am I watching here? But this is uh, nah, the guy the guy outside the box. Yeah, he's on a different planet. <laughs> but, but... Box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So at the end of the show now, we the end of the show we played Spain. Mm-hmm. But the adrenaline was already pumping, eh? So mm-hmm. the tempo that we rehearsed at mm-hmm. out the door. Mm-hmm. They conked they at the killer tempo. Mm-hmm. The good thing that I was warm up and so it's a uh, warm up so my fingers were able to keep up with the tempo and then and we going on the road like that. 
So time to share you now the, ex the exchange um, solos and stuff. Mm -hmm. Who on the other end? Stanley in the middle and I'm on the other end. So Boo starts the rungs, mm -hmm. Ali follow, and then I picked up. Second rungs, but, uh, things had to fly a little crazier. Mr. Man here, going crazy. He tried to do shit that I did. You know, to... <laughs> I, I, I am kind of like learning how to figure out, oh, shit, mm. what can I do to... to Take it from that level. I come like the I come like the anchor man in the relay race, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? mm. I, I, what I, what could I do to, 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 to that they didn't do already? Boy, mm -hmm. boy, Calypso is our strong point, and we have to respect Calypso. Mm -hmm. I am a preacher of Calypso. You see that syncopation? Mm -hmm. Nowhere in the world people can play it like us. I mean, they can play it like us. I'm, I'm wrong, but. Mm. It, 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 we always think our notes it's like we always speak you know I bring up the road you know it's the same kind of thing I started, to get, I started to syncopate mm -hmm. I started to syncopate um, you know it's kind of kind of so vibe but it, but it mm -hmm. does flirt it mm -hmm. and the crowd picked, started to laugh and the crowd started to work the crowd with, 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 with the way with the I was talking mm -hmm. with it as well too and Boo and, and Stanley just shake their head. So that was like saving the bell because mm. afterwards they were not, not going after that. Let me go back to the <laughs> story. Michael Bootman, Stanley, man who shake up Stanley Jordan. Michael, one of the one of the things that um one of the things that have that have captured in this conversation so far, as I said. It's a kind of idea of pioneering work, right? You were there at the beginning, sitting with the combo band. You were a major influence, a major position, a major person in the combo scene. You, you got this opportunity, this grand opportunity that you are able to be a Caribbean musician signed to an American label. Um, when I, admittedly the, the Caribbean was being seen as a place to get music by then, Bob Marley was already signed to Island Records and they were looking at um, Gonzalez and, and, and um, Simon. There was another band that was being signed by labels. And there were some acts that had Caribbean heritage that were being seen, right? And even in Trinidad, we had Robin Imamcha being signed and thing. So there was a possibility. And of course, we all knew uh, during that seventh days period, the kind of evolution and development of Soka, of which you, of course, were a part. You did admit that when you were in the Rockefellers, they had an original Soka beat from, the, from all from the beginning. So there was a kind of development period that happens from the 60s, post-independence, certainly up after 1970, into the 80s. And then you took off being, doing the, the circuit of the Caribbean Jazz Festivals. I think you toured with Taj Mahal. Was that, was that at that point also in the 70s or 80s? In the 80s. In the 80s, you toured in the 90s. 90s, yeah. So that your name and your and your presence has always been there, right? Um, I guess one of the things that I would only suggest is that we didn't get enough albums from you because I know you had had Keeping It Fresh and you had some others, but there weren't many, many albums that were put out by you because live performance was what what defined Michael Boothman. But a couple of years ago, as, as I said, I had done this concert with your producer. It's called A Family of Giants and it was going to divide up because your family, of course, the, the, the Holder family, of which your mother was one, and certainly the Boothman family, where your father clearly understood the business of music, and he created Michael, David, and Roger Boothman. 
um, were important in Trinidad music scene, you all have been able to stamp a kind of excellence on Caribbean music and stamp a kind of excellence on songwriting, production, performance that never gets old, right? I know you just celebrated your 70th birthday and as I said, strength and blessings to you. But I understand now in 2021 that you have a record coming out. Is that correct? Let me know what's happening to Michael Bootman in the 21st century. <laughs> no, um, I, you know, it was always a dream of mine to own my studio, to own my own studio. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, to, to the time, I think it's very expensive. Yes. And I, I, I uh, having a studio is extreme luxury for me because mm-hmm. I'm able to produce at my will and, and leisure. I don't have to be pressured into Season mm-hmm. time or Russian time, so on. Mm-hmm. So um, the studio is uh, um, I formed studio is called Poetry Music Poetry mm-hmm. Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past four or five years now, um, I I actually did a recording um, of a song that I just released. When I say just released a, a week within the last week or so, it's uh, it's out. And it's what's the name? Music because oh, saying it with music. Saying okay. it with music is, uh, the release uh, is saying it with music, but the album is going to be coming out later on because mm-hmm. I thought that, um, as I just said there, that um, I have been off the recording scene for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I thought that I, I would sort of um, reintroduce myself in terms mm-hmm. of being able to uh, get traction mm-hmm. so that when the album is ready to be released, I would have had some some notoriety over the period of time. You know? So mm-hmm. I, I did a, another version. Actually, I recorded and re-released. I re-recorded it at, uh, at Heaven Sent um, Studios. I recorded it there um, and um, actually finished Marvin mixed and mastered mm-hmm. by um, Zab Spence Music, which is my part of my new team, because I have a very, very, very strong team that I feel very proud to have mm-hmm. them on my side. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zeb Spencer, which is a, a young guy, um, uh, Graham, Graham Carr. Uh, I knew him from a young person growing up. Um, he's out in London. Um, he actually did a, the mix and remix and master. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Thomas. Uh, Saying it with music uh, is, is my new release. I did a video of it, and it's out. And then, uh, then I'm going to follow with another song afterwards. Uh, it's called Passion Fruit, uh, which is a very romantic vibe because I want to be able to get people to, to love one another. After all this war all over the world, people have this edge. I think it's time for people to, to, to bring back that romance into to the music uh, and be able to dance and hold on and rent a tie like all these. Rent a tie. You're making music to make babies. I watch it here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
did that. I did. A, I did. A, I did a podcast with um on the Sharad show. Mm-hmm. And he, Coming to tell me afterwards and say, "I'm a gentleman. Get your condoms out." Was <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I said it without you. Yeah, romantic music. Yeah. So, so this so once again as um, singing with his music is your new release uh, yes. on the Poetry Studios label, if that's the correct term. Yes. And it it's almost like a full circle because if I understand. You started your kind of fusion into the idea of jazz with the release of Diggle Shuffle and Saying With His Music. Yeah. Saying With Music got you to New York. You put it on the Heaven album. And all these yeah. years later, we're coming right back. Not that the music is old, but it's been re- it's revised and revised. But that is a point because Clarence Avant, who knows music, heard it and sought you out. <laughs> I mean, he, didn't, he didn't seek out anybody else. He sought you out. So clearly, it's a great song. It's a great song, and we all know that great songs are what make great albums and great music. So yeah. certainly, we're going to be looking forward to that. Um, one of the things that we discovered, as I said, is your your pioneer in terms of the business of music. You're a part of the family of giants. I've dis- I discussed that with um, the Holder family and Scott, the Boothman family. You clearly have been a, an, in existence and active throughout the last 50 years um, or more, playing music, creating music, selling the music of Trinidad and Tobago and the song of the music and even the Calypso music to the world. And, well, on, on behalf of Island Jazz Chat, I want to say thank you for that, right? But um, going forward into the 21st century, because we're still in the COVID period, I mean, this pandemic is not going anywhere, and Trinidad right now is in a, in a state of emergency under curfews and things. What is the plans for Michael Boothman in 2021 and 2022? Tell us if you have. Yeah, well, one, um, a label. So it's... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and the poetry brand covers will be covering a wide spectrum of music. You know, we'll be mm-hmm. covering from this corner to the next corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son Stefan, um, who is very active in producing, he has his um, his own genre of music, and he, he he has been producing a lot of music, dancehall, the Trinidad, the Zessa music. He, he you know all the, the the new trends and stuff like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. and. Following my album, there's an artist here and producer by the name of Kozia, who's part of um, his his team. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they are uh, they are creating their brand, mm-hmm. while I am doing my my um, brand as well because I am I am working on creating a, a revised calypso um, bug. You know, I would call it a bug because it's it's uh, something that bit me over the years. You know, over the years of me playing calypso music, mm-hmm. but I'm giving it a new a new dress. So it's, um, I'm using the term neo calypso. Neo Calypso, okay. Neo Calypso, because it's 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 slightly different. It's, it still has the the, the the nuances that mm-hmm. is ours, mm-hmm. but what I'm doing now is orchestrating it. You know, I'm, I'm mm. full orchestration and stuff like that. Adding adding different textures and stuff like that, which is which would give it its own unique sound. Mm-hmm. And I've already tested it because I have a, a very very active team behind me uh, in terms mm-hmm. of. Pro- and stuff like that. I have um, Mel Gabriel from it's, it's my, my local publicist and um, mm-hmm. and PR person, and I have uh, in London um, Sarah um, Castro, mm-hmm. and my mixing engineer in London is uh, Graham Carr. He he also uses Supercase Zap Spencer music, mm-hmm. and um, they ha- have taken my product and is developing the buzz around it to get it on an international audience, to, to the international audience. Mm-hmm. So they're doing the, they're, they're doing the diligence diligence that we, what we not accustomed to because we, we tend to just make music and put it out. And then I've been, I've been guilty of that as well too and, and don't really reach anywhere. Yeah. So I'm making it in a way where it would get the acceptance outside. So we are on all these um, social media platforms and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which I, I, um, I have to be guilty, I'm guilty of not really, uh, you know, taking part, doing doing what I should do. But now I have a team that is doing it for me. So it's, it's happening. Um, I have a, a new uh, website that they, people could go and follow. What's the website? Michael Boothman Music. Michael Boothman Music.com. And when, once you get there, you'll be able to, to be able to follow and see what I'm doing. Also, um, uh, I'm all on on Spotify, um, Tula, the, uh, mm-hmm. the other, you know, Apple Music, Apple Music, uh, Amazon, Deezer, all the social, all the music yeah. streaming platforms are there. All right. Well, that's great to know because um, just like Herbie Hancock, just like Quincy Jones, they don't they don't personally update their websites and do their social media. So having a team as part of the kind of modern music industry, certainly for persons who are not 25, right? Yes. So that you're doing the right thing. As I said, I think it's important that generations now know who you are because generations ago in the 60s, you were a, you're a big noise. You were a big noise in the 70s, certainly in the 80s, going all the way through. And once again, you're back. Your name is back in the in the the world of popular music and the world of your music business here in Trinidad and Tobago. And I'm assuming regionally, you already have your team in England, so I'm assuming that something's going to happen out in the UK for you. As I said, one of the things that has always struck me about you is that you you understand what it means to be part of an industry from the business point of view, aside from the music, which you're, you're good at, you're competent at that. You also understand the business of music. And it's something that local musicians or even Caribbean musicians kind of put to the side, which is unfortunate. And the other thing that they also put to the side is they're not determined to continue the efforts at creating music because 
I mean, yes, there comes a point where I guess that an artist is in his 70s, in his 70s may not put out brand new music. But there are artists, as we know, in his 70s, even Paul McCartney put out a record not, not too long ago, and he's nearly 80 years old. So that if you're a songwriter, if you're a producer, put the music out. There's always an audience for you, and there's always a market for you. And I'm yeah. happy that you're still doing this, and I'm also very happy that they're talking to Island Jazz Chat here this evening. Because... Um, is, this is a long time coming. I've I've written about you. I've covered the, the covered the, the making of that album, Heaven, but we never had an opportunity to have a conversation. So my my bad. <laughs> this is a big of all those lost times as it was, right? But um, I certainly want to thank you for what you've done for the music, and I certainly want to thank you for talking to us. And um, and of course, as you said, MichaelBoothmanMusic.com, and and that is a link to all the social media platforms. Um, the, the legacy continues, that family of giants. You said your son is now part of that legacy going forward. So I think yeah. that's important. Um, any other also, final, any other things to wrap up? Yeah, look out for the album. The album is going to come out afterwards. So they say the music and passion mm-hmm. food is just the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. The album is called Songbook. Songbook. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it should be out uh, hopefully by August. Yeah, if God permits. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So you heard it there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Michael, once again, thank you for having this conversation with us. And our listeners, you can listen to more of Island Jazz Chat at podcast.jazz.tt. Thank you once again, Michael. And that's it. Goodbye, all. Thanks for having me. Island Jazz Chat has been a production of Jazz in the Islands magazine. Powered by iRadio.tt.